chapter forty five of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter forty five a chapter of conversations every day after the entertainment at grosvenor place and greenwich of which we have seen major pendennis partake the worthy gentleman's friendship and cordiality for the clavering family seemed to increase his calls were frequent his attentions to the lady of the house unremitting an old man about town he had the good fortune to be received in many houses at which a lady of lady clavering's distinction ought to be seen would her ladyship not like to be present at the grand entertainment at gaunt house there was to be a very pretty breakfast-ball at viscount merofat's at fulham everybody was to be there including august personages of the highest rank and there was to be a watteau quadrille in which miss amory would surely look charming to these and other amusements the obsequious old gentleman kindly offered to conduct lady clavering and was also ready to make himself useful to the baronet in any way agreeable to the latter in spite of his present station and fortune the world persisted in looking rather coldly upon clavering and strange suspicious rumours followed him about he was blackballed at two clubs in succession in the house of commons he only conversed with a few of the most disreputable members of that famous body having a happy knack of choosing bad society and adapting himself naturally to it as other people do to the company of their betters to name of all the senators with whom clavering consorted would be invidious we may mention only a few there was captain raff the honourable member for epsom who retired after the last goodwood races having accepted as mr hotspur the whip of the party said a mission to the levant there was Hustingson, the patriotic member for islington whose voice is never heard now denunciating corruption since his appointment to the governorship of coventry island there was bob freeney of the booterstown freenies who is a dead shot and of whom we therefore wish to speak with every respect and of all these gentlemen with whom in the course of his professional duty mr hotspur had to confer there was none for whom he had a more thorough contempt and dislike than for sir francis clavering the representative of an ancient race who had sat for their own borough of clavering time out of mind in the house if that man is wanted for a division hotspur said ten to one he is to be found in a hell he was educated in the fleet and he has not heard the end of newgate yet take my word for it he'll muddle away the begum's fortune at thimble-rig be caught picking pockets and finish on board the hulks and if the high-born hotspur with such an opinion of clavering could yet from professional reasons be civil to him why should not major pendennis also have reasons of his own for being attentive to this unlucky gentleman he has a very good cellar and a very good cook the major said as long as he is silent he is not offensive and he very seldom speaks if he chooses to frequent gambling tables and lose his money to blacklegs what matters to me don't look too curiously into any man's affairs pen 
my boy every fellow has some cupboard in his house begad which you would not like you and me to peep into why should we try when the rest of the house is open to us and a devilish good house too as you and i know and if the man of the family is not all one could wish the women are excellent the begum is not over refined but as kind a woman as ever lived and devilish clever too and as for the little blanche you know my opinion about her you rogue you know my belief is that she is sweet on you and would have you for the asking but you are growing such a great man that i suppose you won't be content under a duke's daughter hey sir i recommend you to ask one of them and try perhaps pen was somewhat intoxicated by his success in the world and it may also have entered into the young man's mind his uncle's perpetual hints serving not a little to encourage the notion that miss amory was tolerably well disposed to renew the little flirtation which had been carried on in the early days of both of them by the banks of the rural brawl but he was little disposed to marriage he said at that moment and adopting some of his uncle's worldly tone spoke rather contemptuously of the institution and in favour of a bachelor life you are very happy sir said he and you get on very well alone and so do i with the wife at my side i should lose my place in society and i don't for my part much fancy retiring into the country with a mrs pendennis or taking my wife into lodgings to be waited upon by the servant of all work the period of my little illusions is over you cured me of my first love who certainly was a fool and would have had a fool for her husband and a very sulky discontented husband too if she had taken me we young fellows live fast sir and i feel as old at five-and-twenty as many of the old folk the old bachelors whom i see in the bow-window at baize's don't look offended i only mean that i am blase about love matters and that i could no more fan myself into a flame for miss amory now than i could adore lady mirabel over again i wish i could i rather like old mirabel for his infatuation about her and think his passion is the most respectable part of his life sir charles mirabel was always a theatrical man sir the major said annoyed that his nephew should speak flippantly of any person of sir charles's rank and station he has been occupied with theatricals since his early days he acted at carlton house when he was page to the prince he has been mixed up with that sort of thing he could afford to marry whom he chooses and lady mirabel is a most respectable woman received everywhere everywhere mind the duchess of connaught receives her lady rockminster receives her it doesn't become young fellows to speak lightly of people in that station there's not a more respectable woman in england than lady mirabel and the old fogies as you call em at baize's are some of the first gentlemen in england of whom you youngsters had best learn a little manners and a little breeding and a little modesty and the major began to think that pen was growing exceedingly pert and conceited and that the world made a great deal too much of him the major's anger amused pen he studied his uncle's peculiarities with a constant relish and was always in a good humour with his worldly old mentor i'm a youngster of fifteen years standing sir he said adroitly and if you think that we are disrespectful you should see those of the present generation a protege of yours came to breakfast with me the other day you told me to ask him and i did it to please you we had a day's sights together and dined at the club and went to the play he said the wine at the polyanthus was not so good as ellis's wine at richmond 
smoked warrington's cavendish after breakfast and when i gave him a sovereign as a farewell token said he had plenty of them but would take it to show he wasn't proud did he did you ask young clavering cried the major appeased at once fine boy rather wild but a fine boy parents like that sort of attention and you can't do better than pay it to our worthy friends of grosvenor place and so you took him to the play and tipped him that was right sir that was right with which mentor quitted telemachus thinking that the young men were not so very bad and that he should make something of that fellow yet as master clavering grew into years and stature he became too strong for the authority of his fond parents and governess and rather governed them than permitted himself to be led by their orders with his papa he was silent and sulky seldom making his appearance however in the neighbourhood of that gentleman with his mamma he roared and fought when any contest between them arose as to the gratification of his appetite or other wish of his heart and in his disputes with his governess over his book he kicked that quiet creature's shin so fiercely that she was entirely overmastered and subdued by him and he would have so treated his sister blanche too and did on one or two occasions attempt to prevail over her but she showed an immense resolution and spirit on her part and boxed his ears so soundly that he forbore from molesting miss amory as he did the governess and his mamma and his mamma's maid at length when the family came to london sir francis gave forth his opinion that the little beggar had best be sent to school accordingly the young son and heir of the house of clavering was dispatched to the rev otto rosa's establishment at twickenham where young noblemen and gentlemen were received preparatory to their introduction to the great english public schools it is not our intention to follow master clavering in his scholastic career the paths to the temple of learning were made more easy to him than they were to some of us of earlier generations he advanced towards that fane in a carriage and four so to speak and might halt and take refreshment almost whenever he pleased he wore varnished boots from the earliest period of youth and had cambric handkerchiefs and lemon-coloured kid gloves of the smallest size ever manufactured by privet they dressed regularly at mr rose's to come down to dinner the young gentlemen had shawl dressing-gowns fires in their bedrooms horse and carriage exercise occasionally and oil for their hair corporal punishment was altogether dispensed with by the principal who thought that moral discipline was entirely sufficient to lead youth and the boys were so rapidly advanced in many branches of learning that they acquired the art of drinking spirits and smoking cigars even before they were old enough to enter a public school young frank clavering stole his father's havannas and conveyed them to school or smoked them in the stables at a surprisingly early period of life and at ten years old drank his champagne almost as stoutly as any whiskered cornet of dragoons could do when this interesting youth came home for his vacations major pendennis was as laboriously civil and gracious to him as he was to the rest of the family although the boy had rather a contempt for old wigsby as the major was denominated mimicked him behind his back as the polite major bowed and smirked with lady clavering or miss amory and drew rude caricatures such as are designed by ingenious youths in which the major's wig his nose his tie etc were represented with artless exaggeration untiring in his efforts to be agreeable the major wished that pen too should take particular notice of this child incited arthur to invite him to his chambers to give him a dinner at the club to take him to madame tussaud's the tower the play and so forth and to tip him as the phrase is at the end of the day's plestre 
arthur who was good-natured and fond of children went through all these ceremonies one day had the boy to breakfast at the temple where he made the most contemptuous remarks regarding the furniture the crockery and the tattered state of warrington's dressing-gown and smoked a short pipe and recounted the history of a fight between tuffy and long biggings at roses greatly to the edification of the two gentlemen his hosts as the major rightly predicted lady clavering was very grateful for arthur's attention to the boy more grateful than the lad himself who took attentions as a matter of course and very likely had more sovereigns in his pocket than poor pen who generously gave him one of his own slender stock of those coins the major with the sharp eyes with which nature endowed him and with the glasses of age and experience watched this boy and surveyed his position in the family without seeming to be rudely curious about their affairs but as a country neighbour one who had many family obligations to the claverings an old man of the world he took occasion to find out what lady clavering's means were how her capital was disposed and what the boy was to inherit and setting himself to work for what purposes will appear no doubt ulteriorly he soon had got a pretty accurate knowledge of lady clavering's affairs and fortune and of the prospects of her daughter and son the daughter was to have but a slender provision the bulk of the property was as before has been said to go to the son his father did not care for him or anybody else his mother was dotingly fond of him as the child of her latter days his sister disliked him such may be stated in round numbers to be the result of the information which major pendennis got ah my dear madam he would say patting the head of the boy this boy may wear a baron's coronet on his head on some future coronation if matters are but managed rightly and if sir francis clavering would but play his cards well at this the widow amory heaved a deep sigh he plays only much of his cards major i'm afraid she said the major owned that he knew as much did not disguise that he had heard of sir francis clavering's unfortunate propensity to play pitied lady clavering sincerely but spoke with such genuine sentiment and sense that her ladyship glad to find a person of experience to whom she could confide her grief and her condition talked about them pretty unreservedly to major pendennis and was eager to have his advice and consolation major pendennis became the begum's confidant and house friend and as a mother a wife and a capitalist she consulted him he gave her to understand showing at the same time a great deal of respectful sympathy that he was acquainted with some of the circumstances of her first unfortunate marriage and with even the person of her late husband whom he remembered in calcutta when she was living in seclusion with her father the poor lady with tears of shame more than of grief in her eyes told her version of her story going back a child to india after two years at a european school she had met amory and foolishly married him oh you don't know how miserable that man made me she said or what a life i passed betwixt him and my father before i saw him i had never seen a man except my father's clerks and native servants you know we didn't go into society in india on account of you know i know said major pendennis with a bow i was a wild romantic child my head was full of novels which i'd read at school i listened to his wild stories and adventures for he was a daring fellow and i thought he talked beautifully of those calm nights on the passage out when he used to a blank well i married him and i was wretched from that day wretched with my father whose character you know major pendennis and i won't speak of but he wasn't a good man sir neither to my poor mother nor to me except that he left me his money nor to no one else that i ever heard of and he didn't do many kind actions in his lifetime i'm afraid and as for amory he was almost worse he was a spendthrift when my father was close he drank dreadfully and was 
furious when in that way he wasn't in any way a good or a faithful husband to me major pendennis and if he'd died in the jail before this trial instead of afterwards he would have saved me a deal of shame and of unhappiness since sir lady clavering added for perhaps i should not have married at all if i had not been so anxious to change his horrid name and i have not been happy in my second husband as i suppose you know sir ah major pendennis i've got money to be sure and i'm a lady and people fancy i'm very happy but i ain't we all have our cares and griefs and troubles and many's the day that i sit down to one of my grand dinners with an aching heart and many a night do i lay awake on my fine bed a great deal more unhappy than the maid that makes for it i'm not a happy woman major for all the world says and envies the begum her diamonds and carriages and the great company that comes to my house i'm not happy in my husband i'm not in my daughter she ain't a good girl like that dear laura bell at fair oaks she cost me many a tear though you don't see em and she sneers at her mother because i haven't had learning in that how should i i was brought up amongst natives till i was twelve and went back to india when i was fourteen ah major i should have been a good woman if i'd had a good husband and now i must go upstairs and wipe my eyes for they're red with crying and lady rockminster's a-comin and we're going to ave a drive in the park and when lady rockminster made her appearance there was not a trace of tears or vexation on lady clavering's face but she was full of spirits and bounced out with her blunders and talk and murdered the king's english with the utmost liveliness and good humour begad she is not such a bad woman the major thought within himself she is not refined certainly and calls apollo apollo but she has some heart and i like that sort of thing and a devilish deal of money too three stars in india stock to her name begad which that young cub is to have is he and he thought how he should like to see a little of the money transferred to miss blanche and better still one of those stars shining in the name of mr arthur pendennis still bent upon pursuing his schemes whatsoever they might be the old negotiator took the privilege of his intimacy and age to talk in a kindly and fatherly manner to miss blanche when he found occasion to see her alone he came in so frequently in luncheon-time and became so familiar with the ladies that they did not even hesitate to quarrel before him and lady clavering whose tongue was loud and temper brusque had many a battle with the sylphide in the family friend's presence blanche's wit seldom failed to have the mastery in these encounters and the keen barbs of her errors drove her adversary discomfited away i am an old fellow the major said i have nothing to do in life i have my eyes open i keep good counsel i am the friend of both of you and if you choose to quarrel before me why i shan't tell any one but you are two good people and i intend to make it up between you i have between lots of people husbands and wives fathers and sons daughters and mammas before this i like it i have nothing else to do one day then the old diplomatist entered lady clavering's drawing-room just as the latter quitted it evidently in a high state of indignation and ran past him up the stairs to her own apartments she couldn't speak to him now she said she was a great deal too angry with that 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 little wicked anger choked the rest of the words or prevented their utterance until lady clavering had passed out of hearing my dear good miss amory's the major said entering the drawing-room i see what is happening you and mamma have been disagreeing mothers and daughters disagree in the best families it was but last week that i healed up a quarrel between lady clapperton and her daughter lady claudia lady lear and her eldest daughter have not spoken for fourteen years kinder and more worthy people than these i never knew in the whole course of my life for everybody but each other admirable but they can't live together they oughtn't to live together and i wish my dear creature with all my soul that i could see you 
with an establishment of your own for there is no woman in london who could conduct one better with your own establishment making your own home happy i am not very happy in this one said the sylphide and the stupidity of mamma is enough to provoke a saint precisely so you are not suited to one another your mother committed one fault in early life or was it nature my dear in your case she ought not to have educated you you ought not to have been bred up to become the refined and intellectual being you are surrounded as i own you are by those who have not your genius or your refinement your place would be to lead in the most brilliant circles not to follow and take a second place in any society i have watched you miss amory you are ambitious and your proper spheres command you ought to shine and you never can in this house i know it i hope i shall see you in another and a happier one some day and the mistress of it the sylphide shrugged her lily shoulders with a look of scorn where is the prince and where is the palace major pendennis she said i am ready but there is no romance in the world now no real affection no indeed said the major with the most sentimental and simple air which he could muster not that i know anything about it said blanche casting her eyes down except what i have read in novels of course not major pendennis cried how should you my dear young lady and novels ain't true as you remark admirably and there is no romance left in the world begad i wish i was a young fellow like my nephew and what continued miss amory musing what are the men whom we see about at the balls every night dancing guardsmen penniless treasury clerks boobies if i had my brother's fortune i might have such an establishment as you promised me but with my name and with my little means what am i to look to a country parson or a barrister in a street near russell square or a captain in a dragoon regiment who will take lodgings for me and come home from the mess tipsy and smelling of smoke like sir francis clavering that is how we girls are destined to end life oh major pendennis i am sick of london and of balls and of young dandies with their chin-tips and of the insolent great ladies who know us one day and cut us the next and of the world altogether i should like to leave it and to go into a convent that i should i shall never find anybody to understand me and i live here as much alone in my family as in the world as if i were in a cell locked up for ever i wish there were sisters of charity here and that i could be one and catch the plague and die of it i wish to quit the world i am not very old but i am tired i have suffered so much i have been so disillusionated i am weary i am weary oh that the angel of death would come and beckon me away this speech may be interpreted as follows a few nights since a great lady lady flamingo had cut miss amory and lady clavering she was quite mad because she could not get an invitation to lady drum's ball it was the end of the season and nobody had proposed to her she had made no sensation at all she who was so much cleverer than any girl of the year and of the young ladies forming her special circle dora who had but five thousand pounds flora who had nothing and leonora who had red hair were going to be married and nobody had come for blanche amory you judge wisely about the world and about your position my dear miss blanche the major said the prince don't marry nowadays as you say unless the princess has a deuced deal of money in the funds or is a lady of his own rank the young folks of the great families marry into the great families if they haven't fortune they have each other's shoulders to push on in the world which is pretty nearly as good a girl with your fortune can scarcely hope for a great match but a girl with your genius and your admirable tact and fine manners with a clever husband by her side may make any place for herself in the world we are grown deuced republican talent ranks with birth and wealth now begat and a clever man with a clever wife may take any place they please miss amory did not of course in the least understand what major pendennis meant perhaps she thought over circumstances in her mind and asked herself could he be a negotiator for a former suitor of hers and could he mean pen no it was impossible 
he had been civil but nothing more so she said laughing who is the clever man and when will you bring him to me major pendennis i am dying to see him at this moment a servant threw open the door and announced mr henry foker at which name and at the appearance of our friend both the lady and the gentleman burst out laughing that is not the man major pendennis said he is engaged to his cousin lord gravesend's daughter good-bye my dear miss amory was pen growing worldly and should a man not get the experience of the world and lay it to his account he felt for his part as he said that he was growing very old very soon how this town forms and changes us he said once to warrington each had come in from his night's amusement and pen was smoking his pipe and recounting as his habit was to his friend the observations and adventures of the evening just passed how i am changed he said from the simpleton boy at fair oaks who was fit to break his heart about his first love lady mirabel had a reception to-night and was as grave and collected as if she had been born a duchess and had never seen a trap-door in her life she gave me the honour of a conversation and patronised me about walter lorraine quite kindly what condescension broke in warrington wasn't it pen said simply at which the other burst out laughing according to his wont is it possible he said that anybody should think of patronising the eminent author of walter lorraine you laugh at both of us pen said blushing a little i was coming to that myself she told me that she had not read the book as indeed i believe she never read a book in her life but that lady rockminster had and that the duchess of connacht pronounced it to be very clever in that case i said i should die happy for that to please those two ladies was in fact the great aim of my existence and having their approbation of course i need look for no other lady mirabel looked at me solemnly out of her fine eyes and said oh indeed as if she understood me and then she asked me whether i went to the duchess's thursdays and when i said no hoped she should see me there and that i must try and get there everybody went there everybody who was in society and then we talked of the new ambassador from timbuktu and how he was better than the old one and how lady mary billington was going to marry a clergyman quite below her in rank and how lord and lady ringdove had fallen out three months after their marriage about tom powder of the blues lady ringdove's cousin and so forth from the gravity of that woman you would have fancied she had been born in a palace and lived all the seasons of her life in belgrave square and you i suppose you took your part in the conversation pretty well as the descendant of the earl your father and the heir of fair oaks castle warrington said yes i remember reading of the festivities which occurred when you came of age the countess gave a brilliant tea soiree to the neighbouring nobility and the tenantry were regaled in the kitchen with a leg of mutton and a quart of ale the remains of the banquet were distributed amongst the poor of the village and the entrance to the park was illuminated until old john put the candle out on retiring to rest at his usual hour my mother is not a countess said pen though she has very good blood in her veins too but commoner as she is i have never met a peeress who was more than her peer mr george and if you will come to fair oaks castle you shall judge for yourself of her and of my cousin too they are not so witty as the london women but they certainly are as well bred the thoughts of women in the country are turned to other objects than those which occupy your london ladies in the country a woman has her household and her poor her long calm days and long calm evenings devilish long warrington said and a great deal too calm i have tried em the monotony of that existence must be to a certain degree melancholy like the tune of a long ballad and its harmony grave and gentle sad and tender it would be unendurable else the loneliness of women in the country makes them of necessity soft and sentimental 
leading a life of calm duty constant routine mystic reverie a sort of nuns at large too much gaiety or laughter would jar upon their almost sacred quiet and would be as out of place there as in a church where you go to sleep over the sermon warrington said you are a professed misogynist and hate the sex because i suspect you know very little about them mr penn continued with an air of considerable self-complacency if you dislike the women in the country for being too slow surely the london woman ought to be fast enough for you the pace of london life is enormous how do people last at it i wonder male and female take a woman in the, of the world follow her course through the season one asks how she can survive it or if she tumbles into a sleep at the end of august and lies torpid until the spring she goes into the world every night and sits watching her marriageable daughters dancing till long after dawn she has a nursery of little ones very likely at home to whom she administers example and affection having an eye likewise to bread and milk catechism music and french and roast leg of mutton at one o'clock she has to call upon ladies of her own station either domestically or in her public character in which she sits upon charity committees or ball committees or emigration committees or queen's college committees and discharges i don't know what more duties of british stateswomanship she very likely keeps a poor visiting list has conversations with the clergyman about soup or flannel or proper religious teaching for the parish and if she lives in certain districts probably attends early church she has the newspapers to read and at least must know what her husband's party is about so as to be able to talk to her neighbour at dinner and it is a fact that she reads every new book that comes out for she can talk and very smartly and well about them all and you see them all upon her drawing-room table she has the cares of her household besides to make both ends meet to make the girls milliner's bills appear not too dreadful to the father and pay master the family to snip off in secret a little extra article of expenditure here and there and convey it in the shape of a bank-note to the boys at college or at sea to check the encroachments of tradesmen and housekeepers financial fallacies to keep upper and lower servants from jangling with one another and the household in order add to this that she has a secret taste for some art or science models in clay makes experiments in chemistry or plays in private on the violoncello and i say without exaggeration many london ladies are doing this and you have a character before you such as our ancestors never heard of and such as belongs entirely to our era and period of civilization ye gods how rapidly we live and grow in nine months mr paxton grows you a pineapple as large as a portmanteau whereas a little one no bigger than a dutch cheese took three years to attain his majority in old times and as the race of pineapples so is the race of man hoiapper what's the greek for pineapple warrington stop for mercy's sake stop with the english and before you come to the greek warrington cried out laughing i never heard you make such a long speech or was aware that you had penetrated so deeply into the female mysteries who taught you all this and into whose boudoirs and nurseries have you been peeping whilst i was smoking my pipe and reading my book lying on my straw bed you are on the bank old boy content to watch the waves tossing in the winds and the struggles of others at sea penn said i am in the stream now and by jove i like it how rapidly we go down it eh strong and feeble old and young the metal pitchers and the earthen pitchers the pretty little china boat swims gaily till the big bruised brazen one bumps him and sends him down eh vogue la glare you see a man sink in the race and say good-bye to him look he has only dived under the other fellow's legs and comes up shaking his pole and striking out ever so far ahead eh vogue la glare i say it's good sport warrington not winning merely but playing 
well go in and win young un i'll sit and mark the game warrington said surveying the ardent young fellow with an almost fatherly pleasure a generous fellow plays for the play a sordid one for the stake an old fogey sits by and smokes the pipe of tranquillity while jack and tom are pummelling each other in the ring why don't you come in george and have a turn with the gloves you are big enough and strong enough pen said dear old boy you are worth ten of me you are not quite as tall as goliath certainly the other answered with a laugh that was rough and yet tender as for me i am disabled i had a fatal hit in early life i will tell you about it some day you may too meet with your master don't be too eager or too confident or too worldly my boy was pendennis becoming worldly or only seeing the worldly or both and is a man very wrong for being after all only a man which is the most reasonable and does his duty best he who stands aloof from the struggle of life calmly contemplating or he who descends to the ground and takes his part in the contest that philosopher pen said had held a great place amongst the leaders of the world and enjoyed to the full what it had to give of rank and riches renown and pleasure who came weary-hearted out of it and said that all was vanity and vexation of spirit many a teacher of those whom we reverence and who steps out of his carriage up to his carved cathedral place shakes his lawn ruffles over the velvet cushions and cries out that the whole struggle is an accursed one and the works of the world are evil many a conscience stricken mystic flies from it altogether and shuts himself out from it within convent walls real or spiritual whence he can only look up to the sky and contemplate the heaven out of which there is no rest and no good but the earth where our feet are is the work of the same power as the immeasurable blue yonder in which the future lies into which we would peer who ordered toil as the condition of life ordered weariness ordered sickness ordered poverty failure success to this man a foremost place to the other a nameless struggle with the crowd to that a shameful fall or paralyzed limb or sudden accident to each some work upon the ground he stands on until he is laid beneath it while they were talking the dawn came shining through the windows of the room and pen threw them open to receive the fresh morning air look george said he look and see the sun rise he sees the labourer on his way afield the work-girl plying her poor needle the lawyer at his desk perhaps the beauty smiling asleep upon her pillow of down or the jaded reveller reeling to bed or the fevered patient tossing on it or the doctor watching by it over the throes of the mother for the child that is to be born into the world to be born and to take his part in the suffering and struggling the tears and laughter the crime remorse love folly sorrow rest End of chapter forty five